Room with a View. It was ironic how bad I felt when I woke up, because I might have been in the world's most comfortable, luxurious bed, in a room that was just as fancy and impressive. The bedroom's oversized double doors were left open, and I could see I was in an ultra-exotic supervillain-type hideaway, straight out of James Bondville. Floor-to-ceiling plate-glass windows framed an incredible ocean view, but it wasn't nearly as incredible as the pain I was feeling. I couldn't move at all, and I assumed it was my worst fear, total paralysis, although I didn't actually bother checking because I was afraid it would hurt too much. A few minutes later, I started weeping when I realized I wasn't paralyzed and it might still be possible for me to crawl to a car and drive it into a tree or a wall or something. You know it's bad when you feel like only death can stop your pain. Considering all I had just gone through, it was only fitting that I woke up in an exotic clifftop lair. I had been kidnapped by a tiny, violent, unnaturally strong government assassin whose portly girlfriend was inclined to kill me for shits and giggles. What did the tiny killer do to me? It was so hard to move. Whatever drug he injected me with must have come with a label that said, Large Animals Only. Do not use on humans. I wanted to cry out of frustration, but crying felt like it might hurt more than help. Thinking was the only thing that didn't hurt, so naturally I thought about the end of the world, and soon my heart ached as much as my actual body. The end of the Dukes, the end of Piper, the end of all my favorite places, Virginia Highlands, Mose and Joes, Lake Raven, Purdue. What a bummer. I haven't gone back to Purdue since I graduated. When I lost my trust fund, I felt like I'd died, and nobody showed up at my funeral because I couldn't pay for the beer anymore. Even in my very crowded pity party, the person that kept popping up was Sarah Campbell, my college girlfriend. I'd thought about her almost every day for 15 years, which I know seems pathetic and creepy, but I couldn't help it. It's also not lost on me that it's embarrassingly one-sided, because I can assure you she didn't ever think of me. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm sure Sarah avoided thinking about me, because our last memories were so painful. I'm sure they easily overshadowed all the fun we had together. What I conveniently left out is that I was still reeling from my father's trust fund revocation tour when Sarah told me that she was pregnant, but ending the pregnancy. I begged her not to, not because of the baby, but because I selfishly knew if we had a kid, she'd be stuck with me. She was the only good thing I had left. She wouldn't listen to anything I said. I was also dumb enough to accuse her of getting pregnant to trap me, then ending the pregnancy after finding out I was broke. Looking back, I realized that is a major fail, but like I said, I'm not the best-looking guy, and Sarah was beautiful. She could have dated anybody she wanted. She had a fit telling me how wrong I was, but then still broke up with me, left school, and ended her pregnancy. Was I that wrong? It was the last time I saw her. Nobody ever talks about abortions, but they happen, and it happened to us. It's my biggest failure, start to finish. The pain I caused her, I felt so bad. She had the procedure alone without me because she hated me, and I couldn't blame her. I was desperate to be there with her and for her, but I had no leverage. This was just another horrible situation my selfishness had put her in. I wrote her a check made out to the clinic to cover the procedure, and when I saw it was cashed, I cried every time I was alone for a month. I hadn't spoken to her since she coldly gave me the name of the clinic over the phone.
I wondered what Sarah was doing right now. Was she in tremendous pain like me? I wondered what she looked like. Was she still beautiful? Probably. Bo had heard she was married with a couple of kids living in Saugatuck, the same small town in Michigan she grew up in. The thought of her made me ache inside. She was going to die too, and I'd never get to see her again. I used to fantasize about going to Saugatuck. I could have answered all my creepy questions by accidentally running into her at the hardware store, but I could never think of a reasonably legitimate excuse to go. After I got married, I gave up on the idea because it seemed like cheating on top of the creepy. But I remained deathly curious. I guess it didn't matter now anyway. After torturing myself over Sarah for too long, I decided to exert just enough energy to throw back the covers and quickly added it to my list of the year's most regretted decisions. I was nude and my penis was ultra-flaccid with alarming shrinkage, like I was dying from the flu. My thigh was already covered with a remarkable bruise and my leg felt like it had been reattached with rusty barbed wire. I was relieved to spot my clothes in a pile by the open doors, although the relief evaporated almost instantly as my head continued its rhythmic throbbing. Nothing was spared, even my face hurt, and both my eyeballs felt dangerously close to popping out, which would be completely unacceptable. I sat upright and cautiously slid my legs over the side of the bed. A door next to the bed led to an extravagant bathroom where my steady weeping turned into crying when I held my ultra-flaccid shadow of a former penis. I knew I couldn't afford to lose the fluids I was peeing into the toilet my family didn't make. I willed myself to stop peeing the entire time, but it didn't work. I put my clothes back on and drank out of the bathroom faucet for damn near 20 minutes before I came up for air. The water helped. I was no longer looking for an easy way to die as I ventured beyond the bedroom, out into the modern and spacious supervillain lair. I realized why Dusty referred to it as the nest. Judging from the dramatic views, we were perched far above a stunning blue ocean. As I scanned the horizon through the endless wall of glass, I saw Dusty and Peaches at the edge of the cliff, doing yoga or tai chi or something. Dusty was wearing tidy whities and Peaches donned a painted-on set of black spandex workout gear that left no fold to the imagination. As you might have expected, I violently hurled about four gallons of water and a decent amount of Paps Blue Ribbon all over the window. I used a People magazine to squeegee the hurl further down the window, hoping to make it less noticeable. It didn't really work. Giving them less reasons to kill me seemed savvy, but I felt so bad I half-welcomed death at the hands of Peaches. Searching around the kitchen, I found no food in any of the cabinets. What kind of nest didn't have food? Were they going to eat me? I could easily see peaches eating anything, and a lot of it. I felt like I was going to throw up again if I didn't eat something quickly. I opened the refrigerator, and there were several carafes of orange juice and nothing else. I grabbed the carafe closest to me. The orange juice was so incredibly delicious after I started, my body took over, and I couldn't stop until I drained the entire carafe. Oops. I felt like making a run for it, but I had just thrown up violently and drank a shitload of orange juice, so any escape requiring strenuous movement was definitely out of the question unless it involved more hurling. I also had no idea where I was, and I likely had only one shot to pull off any escape. I probably didn't have long to escape either, 
I had a feeling Dusty had already done as much as he could to protect me from his girlfriend's passion for killing assholes. I looked at them through the window again. Both were remarkable athletes, although it appeared Dusty had demonstrably better balance. They also had a table with stuff on it that resembled food, so I decided to look death in the eye and headed out towards them. I walked over a long bluestone patio and up several stone steps to the perch-like rock formation Dusty and Peaches were balancing on. Dusty's body was specimen-like, and on the absolute opposite end of the spectrum was the rotund athletic killing machine, Peaches. Did they have sex? I had to change mental course immediately or I'd have thrown up again, and my disappearing penis was my body's way of telling me I needed to keep that orange juice inside of me. Dusty was balanced perfectly in some yoga stance on the very edge of the cliff. His arms and legs were ripped and bulging, with veins weaving in and out of muscles I didn't even know existed. I stopped less than two feet away from both of them, but their concentration was so intense they didn't hear me, or if they did hear me, they chose not to acknowledge my presence. I looked at the table behind us, and my heart did somersaults when I saw a bag of off-brand powdered sugar donuts sitting innocently next to a fruit dish, and yet another carafe of orange juice. I looked at the off-brand powdered sugar donuts, then back at Dusty, balanced on the cliff's edge on one foot, with his arms held out to the side. I had to hand it to him. I about shit my pants just watching him. I wondered why he felt the need to do yoga on the edge of a cliff. He should be filming it. I would. Dusty slowly moved his arms up until his palms came together in a pointed position straight above his head while still balancing on one foot. Once he locked into position, he began more rhythmic breathing. He had to be superhuman. One wrong move and he'd fall hundreds of feet down a rocky cliff. Peaches clearly didn't trust her balance as much because she was about three feet back from the edge and doing the same pose except with two feet on the ground. I bet if she tried to put all that weight on one leg, it would break. I felt weird, like maybe I should announce myself because they still hadn't noticed me standing behind them. I was their captive, so I expected there was some form of etiquette to follow, but it wasn't as though I'd snuck up there like a ninja. Did I really need to announce my obvious presence? Again, I felt like less is more, especially coming from an asshole. The bag of donuts looked delicious. For some reason, I was less afraid of peaches than Dusty, but I knew any donut I took would be a donut taken from her by an asshole. I looked at the moody giant again and decided it wasn't worth the risk. The disappointment was crushing. Was Dusty watching me from a yoga-induced higher plane? Had I made a move, was he waiting to tell me the donuts were earmarked for the sumo girl of his dreams, Peachy Poo? I looked at the donuts again. They were off-brand, but like I said, they looked delicious. I looked back at Dusty, balanced perfectly, literally on the edge of a cliff, which made me nervous, so I looked back at the donuts. I wondered if they were made by Hostess but didn't pass muster, then sold to a reseller who slapped their label on the bag. Honestly, I didn't care. I loved all powdered sugar donuts. Then I pushed Dusty as hard as I could off the cliff. 